Greetings, mortals. Welcome to Fatal Fortunes. I'm Al. I'm Will. Join us for a deep dive into some of history's most fascinating characters who live dangerously beautiful lives. And whose legacies haunt us today. Hey everyone, welcome to Fatal Fortunes. I'm Will. I'm Al. Thank you so much for tuning into our first episode. So excited. This has been a few weeks in the making, I would say, Um, but we're so excited. Well, yeah, no, it's been a few weeks. We've really... Is it a month? We had that, or maybe it was a month. I don't know. We had the idea and we really just ran with it. We just kept on working on it and we're so excited to finally be here. Um, and deliver this amazing episode. Uh, a little bit of background on both of us so you get to know us. Um, I'm Will. I live in California. I went to school with Al at Emerson in Boston. And uh, now I live in LA and I work in documentaries. Um, and I love to write. I love to hang out with my dog. Um, but yeah, I really love diving into kind of the the interesting fascinating characters of history who you know had these really beautiful lives and they were beautiful people and you know some of them had some tragic endings and I just feel like in this podcast we're really going to dive into the people that deserved more of a story to be told you know and we're going to really tell those stories so really excited to be a co-host me too. I'm Al. I was born and raised in Boston, Massachusetts. And like Will said, we both went to Emerson College together, where we met on a film set. We had actually encountered each other a little bit before then. So in 2017, mm-hmm. I was studying abroad in the Netherlands. Will was studying abroad in London. Will ended up coming to the castle that our study abroad program was at. And I remember looking at Will at the bar like around like Halloween time, <laughs> like, who is this? Yeah, because I was just like the random like person that wasn't part of the program there. And people were like, oh, is he from Emerson? You look kind of familiar, like because I had some friends there. But exactly. And it was it was American night. So no one else came on American night. You (laughs) must be one of us. (laughs) Yeah, it's really. But we weren't formally introduced until we did a film together. Shout out Alfonso. Shout out Angel Perez. Um, yes. We worked on a film called That Summer Boy together. And yeah, we were on the set. And I finally went up to Will and said, I know I gave you a dirty look <laughs> last fall. And I need to rectify that because you're a really nice person. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And then we just bonded over coffee. We bonded over smoking weed behind a dumpster at a Holiday Inn. Yeah. Yeah. And drinking and and complaining about the very it was really hot on that set wasn't it like really hot so hot. and there was so much physical labor like bringing up equipment because basically this film is like a love drama story and it takes place no other place than on top of a hill like basically a a mini mountain (laughs) in vermont in the woods and i actually remember i saw a bear one time at night but like it was it was a really it was like you're in you're in the thick of it. You're really in the woods. So it was a really great bonding experience. You know, I really, you know, became good friends with Al. I feel like just from that, like, I feel like we had this like connection. And I remember, I remember we were like cooking lunch and we were like cooking to like Princess Nokia, like cook, yeah. cook, you know, I like to cook. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. So yeah. Anyways, we're so excited to talk about these really fascinating characters on Fatal Fortunes. Um, we kind of just had like kind of an Instagram DM text chain where we're, you know, sharing Instagram posts about Princess Diana and like other like historical figures that are kind of. And not even just historical figures, like historical figures plus conspiracy theories surrounding them. Like, do you True. believe this story about them? Like getting yeah. very deep into the minutia. And I was always really appreciating everything well said. I woke up in the morning like, oh my <laughs> God, my historical level. This is amazing. And we're Emerson College students. Of course, we said we're having fun. We need to now make it 
into media. <laughs> and also, I think something that we talked about when we we're developing this podcast is that we don't want to just do like the basic people that I feel like a lot of people know they're, you know, fatal, beautiful, tragic stories. Like, you know, we definitely are open to doing them in the future. People like, you know, Kurt Cobain, Marilyn Monroe, Amy Winehouse. We just feel like there's been so much done about them that we want to deliver people that we think that are really interesting. And, you know, maybe you don't know them. Maybe you don't recognize them by their image um, at first glance. But these are people that really have fascinating, unbelievable stories. And they're they're human. And um, there's glamour, there's sex, there's drama, death, violence. Everything. Everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Something that we both really want to do to frame our characters is to drop them into history. So Princess Margaret, the person we're covering today, she was born in 1930. And in 1930, a whole bunch of stuff happened. It basically sounds like a 2020 when you run through just a little (laughs) bit of it. So Mickey Mouse, Looney Tunes, Betty Boop, those all debut this year. The existence of Pluto is confirmed. Gandhi begins his 200-mile march. The Danish girl, Lily Ebb, begins her sex reassignment surgery. Frozen food goes on sale for the first time right in my backyard of Springfield, Massachusetts, which I think is very cool. And the Hayes Code takes effect, which I know is the persona non grata of every film student. (laughs) The Nazis are elected to enough seats in the Reichstag to become the second largest party in the Weimar Republic, foreshadowing. The beloved Holly Silesi becomes emperor of Ethiopia. Penicillin is first used as a cure in this year. And there's a birth of a little baby girl named Margaret Rose. Yeah, so we are going to dive into life of Princess Margaret. <laughs> In the exact way that she would. Drinking. Yes, cheers. Yes. Cheers. I am drinking rosé tonight out of my Van Gogh mug. I am drinking wine. Red wine. I don't really know what kind. It's it's fair trade and organic, so it must be good. And it's from South Africa, which is interesting. It's called Stellar Organics. Not sponsored, but just I thought I should. That. that sounds good. I'm sorry. The wine I'm drinking is the uh, Tasty's Internet Favorite Award. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not cultured. Um, what is it? What's yeah. the brand called? Tasty's? Tasty. Like oh, Tasty um, Recipe People. Oh, I didn't know they had a wine. Okay, well, we'll definitely have to let them know that we love their wine. <laughs> Absolutely. it's their. Margaret was born in Scotland. She, she is the first royal to be born in Scotland since 1887, when her cousin, Victoria Eugenie of Badenburg, the future queen of Spain, was born at Balmoral Castle. But she was the daughter of Queen Victoria's last daughter, so she was never going to be queen that wasn't a possibility but margaret when she's born she's fourth in line to the throne she is born at glam's castle the ancestral home of her mother's side and they are the bose lions family they are a very aristocratic family and while her mother elizabeth the queen mom who will call her that right from the beginning she very much sees herself as scottish she sees herself as a scottish heiress from a very aristocratic family almost more pomp and circumstance than even the royal family themselves who at this point is mostly german but anyway her mother is one of the last grand dames she's a lady she's enjoying the roaring 20s they're going crazy after the first world war she is letting loose and at this time george the fifth the current king's second son is proposing marriage to her off the chain She spends a lot of time making this decision. She rejects him a whole bunch of times. But she figures Bertie's never going to be king. He's got a stammer. He has no training. (laughs) However, his brother, the Prince of Wales, huge playboy, huge celebrity. Everyone loves him. And it's only 1922, 23 at this time. There's still time for him to get married. He's a bachelor, but there's time for him to get married, time for him to have children. And by the next thing she knows her husband's going to be so far down the line of succession. It doesn't even matter. However, by the 1930s, the Yorks have a daughter, Elizabeth, the future Queen Elizabeth II. The Prince of Wales is still unmarried. The Queen Mom is pregnant again. If this child had been a boy, it would have superseded that girl Elizabeth in the line of succession. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, it's 
it's kind of interesting because, you know, in I don't know if it was necessarily this way in their family, but in other families, she would be like the disappointment child, you know, that like she's not a boy. And, um, but, but I think that uh, Bertie or George um, and the queen mom, they had a good head on their shoulders and they knew that like the future heir being a king wasn't necessarily imperative, especially because there's such a history of strong, powerful uh, women who were leading England and the United Kingdom as queen. So, yeah, I feel like they were kind of, you know, progressive in that way, just because there is kind of this proven history of strong female leaders. And even when you think about it, in 1922, they're already calling the Victorian era the Victorian era. It just ended 20 years ago, but they're still calling it that. So it's not like having a female ruler is going to be super radical. And the king even says in an antidote that he sees so much of Queen Victoria in her. So he's like, why am I going to have a third child who, if it's a girl, isn't going to have any role? And if it's a dude, is going to supersede our daughter who's already six and is like aware and present of the fact that she's three heartbeats away from the throne so before king george became king and before elizabeth was the queen uh to be the heir apparent um elizabeth and margaret's uncle uncle edward um he was king at the time he was you know known as the prince of wales or king edward the eighth and he abdicated because his lover wallace simpson was a divorcee and the church and the government and the united kingdom have a really big problem with divorce especially for the queen and the king and you'll see that play out throughout british history really and even in some of our episodes on fatal fortunes uh yeah so when he abdicated from the throne to to be with the woman that he loved, Wallace Simpson, that made King George, well, that made George, the the brother, the new king. And as Al said, King George, Bertie, he had a speech impediment. He was a little awkward. He wasn't the best speaker. He was a heavy smoker. Um, but he took on the role and he took it on with stride. And that basically ups his children's place to the throne. And Elizabeth is now the heir apparent. She's the firstborn. She's going to be queen whenever he dies. And that means Margaret is kind of, you know, the second fiddle. And legend has it, I'm not sure if this actually happened, but Margaret is rumored to have said, poor you to Elizabeth when Edward abdicated and she became the heir apparent, which I don't really know if that's true. Um, What do you think? I don't know. It's it's the banter of a four-year-old. A four-year-old could definitely yeah. be like, oh, you have poor. a job already? You're 10 <laughs> and you have a job already? And say, poor you. But I also think, not to base anything off the crown necessarily, but there's that scene in the crown where like they go to the government minister or the guy from the church and say, like, we'd like to switch places, please. Yeah. So I definitely know. I don't know. I know Margaret wanted from that scene and from how it's described to her as a child that she would readily supplant her sister. Right. However, I could also see her saying, poor you, because at the back of the mind, she knows she can never actually overtake Elizabeth because she loves her. She doesn't want to wish anything ill on her. Right, yeah. And, you know, Elizabeth, from an objective point of view, I I feel like she's been a pretty great leader. And, you know... I don't want to say if Margaret wouldn't have been a great queen because maybe she would have. Maybe, you know, her kind of wild side that we'll, you'll see us talking about later, maybe that stems from her not being queen. You know, there's so many different factors. Margaret is such yeah. a complex character. Um, and one of the most maybe crucial parts of her childhood, in addition to um, her sister becoming queen, was, you know, living as a child in World War II and being, you know, the princess with the royal family, her family, and, you know, being under the fear that they're going to be bombed, that they're going to be attacked or kidnapped or whatever, because they were, you know, 
public enemy number one, perhaps. Like they were a big target. I mean, they, you know, they're kind of the heads of this nation. And thank God they had their really heavy duty castles <laughs> block them from everything because if they had it, you know, who knows? But I think it must have been really stressful for them at that time during um during World War Two. Of course, of course. And I even think about how Buckingham Palace got bombed during the Blitz. So Margaret and her sister, they were targets. The royal family was targets. You go from being a girl who's being raised to be wife of Duke of whatever or wife of Prince of whatever to suddenly being the first family of the United Kingdom. To suddenly, you don't have that life anymore because anyone you try and marry, it's going to be a bunch of scrutiny, a bunch of press, a bunch of criticism especially. And that's hard on a young girl. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know exactly how it was on them. I wasn't there in the room, but, but I do think that their parents were supportive and, you know, gave them courage and stuff. And I actually remember that there's a radio broadcast of Elizabeth and Margaret to, it's like called the children's broadcast is like right at the beginning of the war. And at the very end, she says, um, come on, Margaret. (laughs) And then Margaret's like, good night, children. (laughs) yeah exactly and like so you know they were kind of sort of brought up and trained from an early age to be diplomatic and to be kind of leading figures so you know so and you know when you think about all those children that were listening to that broadcast they you know were looking up to Margaret from a young age um, which is why perhaps maybe when Margaret made some more questionable decisions down the line why everyone was so you know up in arms about it and then i also think the other side of that is people are like she's just like us oh margaret and elizabeth they can't be with their families right now too they're just like us or margaret wants to marry hot um raf pilot <laughs> she's just like us <laughs> so i feel like there's also that sympathy that the people in the same way that they felt so attached to diana are definitely feeling attached to margaret Queen Elizabeth, she belongs to the country, but Margaret can belong to the people is how they see it, especially during her childhood. Yeah, that's a super, super good point. So to close off this World War II chapter, they, you know, when Margaret's a young teen, her and Elizabeth sneak out on V-Day, the celebration of the end of World War II, and they're, you know, with the common people, and they have that exhilarating thrill moment, and it's a really, you know, fun teen thing, and there's a movie about it that Al has seen. Yeah, Royal Night Out. I watched it with my mom. <laughs> Which you should check out if you have it. I, I've seen like a bit. I think I've seen the trailer and I think it'd be a fun. It's like a fun like drink or whatever. Yeah, it's a fun rosé and no brain cells night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after World War II, things kind of start to spice up for Margaret. I mean, she's... 16 it's 1947 and she goes to a tour on the of the commonwealth to south africa with her parents and her sister and a uh, group captain peter townsend is the chaperone basically peter townsend he's a battle of britain hero air force pilot and basically what they're doing at this time is they're appointing these war heroes to be equerries of the king for three month periods is like a thank you so much for your service and for not dying stuff like that but this guy ends up staying for like five years and one of the reasons why they're going on this trip around the commonwealth not only is the war over they're going to go see the commonwealth to thank the people but apartheid in south africa is ramping up and they see this as a threat to the commonwealth a threat to the empire and george says the people love me. I just won this war. No, he didn't, but I just won this war. (laughs) We need to go down to South Africa and see if we can stop this. And basically even in apartheid South Africa, when the King was trying to give a medal to a black person for service in the war, he had to pass it to someone else who then passed it to someone else who then passed it to the black person. He's Mm. like, this guy's just standing right in front of me. Why can't I do this? However, it's a long journey. It's only 1947. It takes a long time to get from Britain yeah, to South Africa. Yeah, you can Africa. get really close and, you know, talk a lot. 
pillow talk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're really close. Exactly. And basically the king says, I don't want to do all that stuffy shit. The war is finally over. I'm going someplace warm for the first time in my life, basically. Stop calling me your majesty. Just treat us like normal people. We want to have fun. We're going to be on this boat forever together. Yeah. I think that's something I do admire about the royal family. Particularly, you know, Queen Elizabeth and her father. um, Is that even though imperialism is the devil... It's also, like, I feel like, you know, for what they were, you know, given in terms of the reins of responsibility, they they did truly respect the leaders and the people of their different nations. They thought of them like a family, and, and, um, and that differs between their perspective and the prime minister's perspective, because the prime ministers are more of the, you know, actual politicians, but... Um, yeah, just... like, even the queen, when she's on... This trip in South Africa, she's actually 21 at the time. And she even says, like, the great imperial family to which we all belong. And I think it's really poignant, even in The Crown in the most recent season. I know this isn't history, but I think that this is actually true to how the (laughs) Queen thinks. She sees herself as a tribal leader in a fuzzy hat. So when people look at her and they're like, why would you interact with that person? Why would you interact with that person? She's like, this guy's a king. I'm a queen. I'm going to talk to them. They're a member of the Commonwealth. They are part of the Imperial family. We all belong to it. So I think that's also really amazing about the queen. Yeah. Not to go on a tangent about her, (laughs) but the queen plays a huge role in her sister's story. Let's be real. True. If the queen had been a boy, they might've stopped trying to have children and Margaret wouldn't have happened. That is true. Yeah. And we're so thankful that that didn't, that didn't happen because we love Margaret and the Queen. Because <laughs> we wouldn't be here doing this podcast today. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, so Margaret at the time, she's 16. Group Peter Townsend is 33. Um, and he was he was married at that time, right? Yes, and he had two children. Oh, wow. Can you imagine being the wife of someone like a grown-ass 30-year-old woman like you just put yourself in her shoes like oh my husband's leaving for months <laughs> yeah and then he comes back and he doesn't love you anymore like yeah, oh my god like, uh, yeah yeah it is a little bit call me by your name age yep. well actually the age gap is a little bit bigger but mm-hmm. um but townsend peter townsend it, he is really good looking. He is. He he's so. very like dashing, and he he he's. I feel like he's charismatic, but not like the, not like outwardly like JFK charismatic. Like he's more internal. He's more refined. He's carefully chosen words, and he's more get a gin and tonic him and it'll loosen up. Right. Yeah. And you know he he values conversation, and and, and I yeah I, I think he's super cool and charismatic and he's really handsome way better looking than the one in the crown i'm sorry whoever oh absolutely i thought that they did a disservice to peter (laughs) such a disservice because if the guy the actor in the crown what did you say his name was again i don't know i don't know his name whatever his name is (laughs) i'm not giving up my place in the line of secession for that dude. I'm giving no. it up for actual Peter Townsend is what I'm yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, like, he, he was a fine actor, but he wasn't, like, the best actor even, I, I think, for the role. So, yeah. That's our thoughts on the Peter Townsend <laughs> casting. Um, I think Vanessa Kirby, who plays Margaret, did a great job, though. She did. She's really good. Yeah. Um, so anyways, so they get closer as, you know, they kind of go on these chores, they go on these royal engagements, and Townsend is kind of always kind of their bodyguard, and and uh, Margaret, you know, starts to develop a infatuation with him. And-, and it's not like the, it's not like Peter Townsend is the only person around the king. He's got a private secretary. He's got another equerry. He's got a right. whole bunch of people on his team. Very so easy for Margaret, easy. the only other princess of the United Kingdom, to say, hey, I need him. Get him <laughs> over here. 
yeah. I would like to flirt with him. So on another tour to Belfast, which was also in 1947, Townsend and Margaret actually sleep in a bedroom. Or no, they don't sleep in the same bedroom. They sleep in bedrooms ad- adjacent to each other. So you Still know, the, scandal. Yeah, scandal. They're, they're close. You know, they're getting close. Margaret becomes 18 and she really becomes the it girl. Because I, I feel like the queen, you know, Princess Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth II, I feel like she was kind of missing that it girl factor that um, Margaret had. And Margaret really became kind of like a movie star, you know, photographed with these really iconic sunglasses, which will insert a photo on our YouTube page, our YouTube video. And, um, you know, she would smoke cigarettes at the theater. And, you know, she was just, she was just really badass, you know. Another thing is that the difference between Elizabeth and Margaret when Margaret turns 18 is Elizabeth's beautiful and everything. She's still young. She's amazing. But she's off the market. So they're not interested. They already know that she's gotten her fairy tale happy ending with Prince Philip. So I think that's even more why they're attracted to Margaret. She's got these beautiful brown hair. She's got an 18-inch waist, which I know is impossible in today with our food filled <laughs> with antibiotics. And she's got these huge blue eyes. She's like short in stature, but everyone's obsessed with her. Like a movie star will stop everything they're doing to wait in line to talk to Margaret. Right. And while she's linking up with Townsend, falling in love with Townsend, the press is speculating like crazy on who she's going to marry. Every guy they see light her cigarette, they're like, he's it. The Marquis of Blah is it. The Baron of Eh is it. And at this time, there's some speculation, which I don't know if if this is true. However, there is speculation that the American ambassador to Britain's daughter, Charmaine Douglas, who she was constantly seen with, was actually one of her first lovers. And that the palace turned a blind eye to it because they were like, oh, perfect. She's growing sexually, becoming an adult, but she's not going to get pregnant. So great. She can be bosom buddies with Charmaine Douglas because they never see that as her future. (laughs) There's a ITV documentary about it if you want to see it, or maybe it's Channel 4. But there's a British documentary that goes all Mm, into this. Interesting. Dive. It's on YouTube. I was going to say, I I was watching The Crown recently, just some of the Margaret episodes, uh, just to refresh my memory. And there was that moment, which is, I believe to actually be true, is that the thing that kind of ticked off the press was that Margaret removed like a little fluff piece of fluff from Townsend's jacket. And, How crazy is that? And you can, I think you can see the photo too. Yeah. It's at um, the coronation of her sister. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a very telling thing. Cause if you, if you do that, it, it's like if you know, someone like fixes your collar or, you know, puts their hand in your hair or like something that's like you yeah know, make, touching you up even if you don't have a crush on that person it does feel a little bit invasive and a little bit invasive or a little bit you know it's a little close like it's like you're comfortable with that person you know so that was definitely imagine a telltale a sign imagine if it wasn't lynn if it was a bug like she's is a bug <laughs> saving the day <laughs> like <laughs> or like bird poop or something this is not romantic there's a huge bug on you dude <laughs> I have to get in your spaces to not cause panic <laughs> on live TV. So King George the Sixth, obviously, he he died due to lung disease from smoking too much. Um, I think was a big factor. And you know, Queen Elizabeth, she ascends to the throne, and you know, Margaret is just destroyed over losing her father, as is Elizabeth. But Elizabeth, you know, she can't really allow herself to grieve because she has to carry out the duties of being queen she has to you know go for it like it's it's all or nothing baby you know you just gotta go 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 and um and for margaret i mean she could kind of grieve a little bit more um and i think that's a a factor that led to her relationship with townsend being so intense and strong and loving is because he was really there for her when she was grieving the loss of her father and you know he could technically be her father. Daddy issues are a real thing. Freud wasn't super wrong. So yeah, I think that's definitely a factor that plays into it. Yeah, I I never even thought of that either. Like, imagine all the times that the king wasn't there, but Townsend was there and was the one that could guide her, mm-hmm. help her. It's not like he could like help her do the geometry homework or anything, <laughs> but 
I can't imagine George was the most present parent. Say she's in London, he's in Kensington, like they're Buckingham, like they were probably not always together. So I can totally see her daddy issues thing. Yeah. And I think something that people need to understand who aren't familiar with the British monarchy is that I feel like a lot of, I mean, not all, but I feel like a lot of the relationships that lead to proposals that might lead to marriage, they kind of happen like at light speed. Like once like someone like finds someone, they're like, okay, that's them. You know, with Elizabeth, uh, Philip was like kind of like the first like guy that was like kind of like courting her she was only like 12 he was like 17 or something and like you know that was the first guy she met really and boom they're together and for Townsend and Margaret I mean I I do think for them it was a little bit different in that they had this relationship prior to uh, King George's death but I think after George's death it was kind of exhilarated and or accelerated and pretty soon in 1953 Townsend proposes and Margaret accepts and she tells her sister, Queen Elizabeth II, you know, she's so excited and she, you know, she, she loves Townsend and the queen, you know, she, she's, she, at first she's said to, you know, be accepting of it. Soon she finds out that it's not as accepted by parliament and the church and the overall monarchy. But anyway, the king is dead. So the queen mom has to get her ass out of Buckingham Palace. And she's dragging her feet. Prince Philip is like, you made me leave the house that I just redid for myself (laughs) to live here at Buckingham Palace. And now my mother-in-law won't leave. So she finally leaves for Clarence house. Margaret goes with her because she's unmarried, even though she's a grown up. And in the crown, it says that Peter is the comptroller of the queen mother but then in other sources i found it said that he was the equerry of the queen as well what are your take what's your take what do you think i'm not really sure about the minutia of it all but yeah i'm not sure about that because i feel like it makes more sense for their relationship to blossom and mature if he's working for the queen mom than it is if he's working at buckingham palace yeah, I mean, I think that would make sense for him, for his role to be kind of deferred to the Queen Mom after the father died, right? Is that? Yeah, and remember, yeah. guys, this was crazy for everyone. Every this is already nineteen fifty three, basically, and he's been working there since nineteen forty six, forty seven. He was only supposed to be there for three months in the first place, so everyone's really confused about why a Battle of Britain hero, who could have a really high ranking place in the army is working for an old lady as like her scheduler. Right. As Margaret and Peter Townsend are trying to make this engagement turn to an eventual marriage, Parliament is not so happy. And the prime minister at the time was no other than Winston Churchill. And, you know, he goes to the queen and says, Parliament will not consent to a marriage which is not sanctioned by the Church of England. And the Church of England, you know, divorce is just not very it's not a fun thing with the church of england it's (laughs) It's, not cool it's not cool it's not fetch you know (laughs) and the only option for margaret is to leave the family to leave her royal you know her royal perks her inheritance her you know her duties her tiaras i'm assuming you know she, she basically has to excommunicate herself from the family kind of like Megxit a little bit not kind of like Megxit kind of like Wallace Simpson and Edward VIII yeah kind of like Diana um when she exited the royal family Fergie all of them yeah when you exit the royal family you don't get as many of those benefits at all and it's a hard exit yeah it's a hard exit because you know yeah it's not very it's kind of cut and dry. It's not a smooth, romantic, you know, oh, I'm going on vacation exit. It's it's like a... And to be honest, joining the royal family sounds like shards of glass. Being in the royal family sounds like shards of glass. Leaving sounds like shards of glass. <laughs> like, it doesn't yeah. sound fun. Yeah. And, you know, Margaret, like, this is her family. Like, why would she want to leave her family and give it up for that? And I think she's frustrated, and, you know, she is frustrated and she tries to make it work, but eventually she finds out that it's just, 
it won't work you know it's like she can't give it up and in the ways that margaret wasn't educated in physics or astronomy she was educated in duty her whole life her parents have looked at her and said your job is to support your sister so being 22 the age that like i am right now like thinking about like oh my god do i leave do i stay do i leave do i go must have been crazy for her because her whole life is wound around being in this family yeah i also want to recall that margaret she's fourth in line to the throne at this point when townsend proposes in 1953 she's fourth in line because elizabeth has already had charles and anne and 16 years ago was the abdication crisis this is recent memory even churchill himself is like i don't see a reason why she can't marry this hot guy Mm. i would too come on but his wife clem she reminds him like dude this wasn't cool with the establishment whereas (laughs) the people 70 no 97 percent of them say she should be able to marry who she likes there's no reason that a princess of the united kingdom should have less freedom than the common man that watches and waves at her as will had mentioned earlier when margaret pulls that little tough the stuff off of his little shoulder pad it's june third june 14th of 1953 on june 30th that same year margaret and the queen mum leave for zimbabwe at the time called rhodesia right here is the worst thing i think the queen ever did to margaret so basically she knows that margaret's leaving on this diplomatic mission she says this is the perfect time to repost peter townsend and for a really long time i thought that it was advisors but it seems like the queen was pretty in on this too and she had gone to her sister and said no one's gonna make it no one's gonna send him away without letting you say goodbye no one's gonna say that feel free to go to zimbabwe it's gonna be fine of course she's in the back door like send him to belgium And basically the queen mom, they're in this lovely retreat in Zimbabwe. And she goes into her room and she says, Peter's not going to be there when you get back. And Margaret loses her damn mind. She says, I got the flu. I ain't leaving my room. I'm drinking all day. I hate all of you. (laughs) So then for the rest of the trip, it's probably like day four of their two week long trip and she's not coming out. Wow. What do you uh, think? Do you think that this is the worst thing that the queen ever did to her? Or do you think that the queen's done worse to her? I mean, I think it kind of is. I mean, I don't put the entire blame on the queen just because, you know, this was, you know, pretty, um, it was pretty soon after the queen was the queen's coronation, you know, and, and it's not like, like the days. Just yeah, like it's days. not the queen. It's not like the queen wanted to go up against that establishment that she just got inducted into as the leader. So I think it's understandable that she didn't, you know, give Margaret the okay. Um, but you know, at the same time, it, it is hard. And if she really wanted Margaret to marry Townsend, I honestly, I think it could have happened. She's the queen; she can make it happen. <laughs> But she was so young and she was so young and, um, but I do think that the royal family, I mean, sometimes, you know, if, if they really want to put their foot down to someone who might be a little bit rebellious or something, they kind of just slam the brakes and they're like, out, stop, you know? Yeah. Megxit. (laughs) Yeah. It's a pretty like brutal, like severing of ties or and, and that's kind of what they did. You know, they they sent Townsend away, right? Didn't they send them to like, where did they send them to? Belgium? He's like or... the foreign attache in Belgium. Yeah. Yeah, so they sent him there. Um, and Margaret's, you know, just devastated. You know, it's this guy that she thought was the love of her life. And maybe it, it is the love of her life. Um, I think it might be. Because they did truly love each other. Um, but But if your love can't surmount such a big thing as like her losing her line her it shouldn't if you love this guy it should not matter if you can't be queen of england anymore because that already wasn't a reality for you yeah that that is true yeah anyway while townsend's away in belgium they're writing to each other every day back and forth for two years and the queen feels bad she says 
I, as the person Elizabeth, want my sister to be happy. I, as the leader of the establishment, must listen to my ministers. So they come to a compromise. Basically, constitutionally, Margaret is allowed to decide who she marries when she turns 25. So she just has to wait out two, three years of him being gone before she can say, doesn't matter. You can take my line of succession. You can take my civil list payment. You can take it all. I don't care. I will be playing Margaret Townsend. However, the day that Townsend returns to London is absolutely insane. Imagine that everything at Sephora is free. (laughs) Everyone is waiting in line, both sides of the road, just trying to see this guy leave the airport, trying to see this guy like show up down the road that even goes to Buckingham Palace. London is on fire. England is on fire. Everyone is basically bursting about what this decision that Margaret's going to make. She thinks she's going to lose the 6,000 pounds, which inflated is actually a lot of money. She thinks she's going to lose that if she marries this guy. But from a documentary that I saw recently, there were letters going between members of parliament that said, okay, we're going to let her do this. We're going to remove her from the line of succession like we always knew she was going to. But she's going to stay Her Royal Highness Princess Margaret. We're going to up her civil list allowance. And we're going to get a title for Townsend. But she has no idea. So she comes to her decision oh. without that. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, she had no... If they had literally waited two weeks longer, totally different story. Yeah. Might not even be a fatal fortune anymore. Well, I think it is still... <laughs> Well, she didn't know. Well, well, yeah. No, no. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it, it might have not been fatal if if she would have known. Um, but I do think that her family, her sister, her mom probably did play a part in her final decision um, to release a statement saying that she chooses her duty over her love for Peter Townsend. Do you want to read the quote? The statement that Margaret and Townsend wrote when they announced to the press that they weren't okay. Yeah, sure. I would like it to be known that I should I do like an accent, a Princess Margaret accent. I'd like it to be known. Yes. (laughs) I would like it to be known that I have decided not to marry Group Captain Peter Townsend. I have been aware, subject to my renouncing my rights of succession, it may have been possible for me to contract a civil marriage. The mindful of the church's teachings that Christian marriage is indissoluble and conscious of my duty to the Commonwealth, I have decided to put these considerations before any of us. That was really bad. I think that, that really shows what Margaret is deep down. Like maybe on the exterior, she's a fun party smoking girl, but. Church and duty are number one is what at least seems in this little write-up. Yeah. Or it kind of seems like she was convinced either. It probably was a little bit of both, like her convincing herself to some degree and then other people convincing her that this is what you need to do. So, And apparently Townsend wrote the bulk of this little write-up. He says in his autobiography that he wrote it, brought it to Margaret and said, this is exactly what I would have said anyway. Perfect. Yeah, and he's also he also said that Queen Elizabeth was pretty supportive during this time and that he doesn't bear any resentment towards her, which I think is important to know because even though she may be the face of the monarchy and the establishment, she's it's not all her choice at the end of the day. Yep. Which I think is kind of crazy. Like you think of the Henry the Eighth of the world and you're like, Elizabeth, you should have put your foot down. Henry VIII got all of those divorces. Come on. <laughs> Any annulment he wanted, let's be real. But it also just shows you how far the British monarchies come. Like the king just can't say, okay, we're executing X, Y, and Z today. I'm divorcing da 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 And my mistress just have a baby. Like this isn't the world that they live in anymore. Yeah, they don't live in the world. Stay. Yeah, they don't live in the world where the monarchs have all the power, where they can make the rules about everything. So... Yeah, it's it's different. Yeah, um, the queen doesn't want her rent checks to stop cashing on the first. Just to round out Townsend in this episode, he ends up marrying a girl who looks just like Margaret, identical, 20 years old. Meanwhile, it's not like Townsend stayed 33 this whole time. Man has aged. He likes them young. He, he does. Likes, he likes them just out of the house. Yeah, like Scott Disick. <laughs> level (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's the scott disick of his day basically he (laughs) marries a girl named marie louise ganjame ganjne i have some friends 
some French friends who are definitely going to ostracize me for that pronunciation. But he marries her in 1955. She's 20 years old. He's 45. And they end up having three children together. One of them, Isabel, becomes a fine ass Ralph Lauren model. Look it up. She's beautiful. And you can't find much on Marie, which I think is really sad that her whole life is tied up in the fact that she married the guy who Princess Margaret rejected. It's really sad that you look up Marie Luce and the only thing that comes up is her engagement photo. I can't even tell if she's dead yet because there's no obituary for her online. Yeah, you know, I feel like that happens a lot with people of the royal family who are connected, but they're not in the limelight or they're just kind of a side piece to someone they're, they're kind of left in the shadows a lot of the time which is sad because i know that she has dimensions she probably has a fatal fortune herself yes yes townsend goes on to write a whole bunch of books they um rewind so the daughter, Isabel, that I mentioned earlier, she ends up buying a house called Les Moulins de la Tuilerie, where the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, Edward and Wallace, had actually lived in at one point. One of his sons from his first marriage that he had gotten divorced from so that he could possibly marry Margaret, he ends up marrying a princess of Ling, and it goes badly. That's all I have to say on that. And Townsend himself spends the rest of his life writing fiction books, nonfiction books war stories he sells his medals to start a charity for children affected by war he does a couple consulting roles on pbs documentaries especially the windsors the royal family a royal family which is on pbs and you can find it on youtube very good from 1994 but retains its glamour then he and margaret cross paths again in 1958 before both of them get married and he says just and he says Just like I think a lot of people never see their old girlfriends. And brother, do I hear that one? Do I never want to see any of my old boyfriends? (laughs) He and Margaret also see each other finally for the last, last time in 1992 when they have dinner in London. Margaret says the evening was nothing special and that he hadn't changed except that he'd gone gray. (laughs) And she had a little bit of fondness for her first love. He died in France in 1995 of stomach cancer. And at the time of his death, Maria had lived him, had outlived him, and so did the rest of his children. Well, what an ending. <laughs> and that's well, the life of a Battle of Britain hero, baby. Yep. So I guess to cap off this uh, episode, wh- why do you think that Margaret... And, you know, her upbringing and her relationship with Townsend is kind of a fatal fortune. Like, what's what's so fatal about it? What's the legacy of it, I guess? I think it's so fatal just going back to that statistic of that 97% of the English public thought that she should be able to marry this guy. I think that it's really impacted all of her future relationships. And I think that it made Margaret just such a hard person to be loved. Mm-hmm. that is just fatal it, margaret died alone and unhappy and i think that that fatal fortune of hers began with the townsend affair yeah no i definitely agree and, and i think a big theme that you will see throughout royal history even outside of the british monarchy is the idea of love versus the crown you know choosing a romantic relationship someone you really really love or choosing the established role as a you know princess countess queen. yeah exactly duchess king queen whatever like choosing to have that as your life rather than having your love in it as well because you know some people they, they do find love and they do find the crown but for a lot of people they don't they, they find that love in the crown well true love and and the crown they constantly just pull butt heads and never sort of bridge together yeah not everyone can be as lucky as queen victoria and prince albert or elizabeth and philip exactly not everyone can be that lucky 
I really like this discussion point of yours, and I wanted to know who do you like more, Vanessa Kirby or Helena Bonham Carter as Princess Margaret? Um, yeah, well, we will be talking more about Helena Bonham Carter in part two of this episode, where we dive into the later years of Margaret. Um, but but I I honestly that's such a hard question because I think they did both a really good job. I think I'm kind of partial to Vanessa Kirby, though. I think she just hits it a little bit more sharper on the delivery. I think she's a way better personality for Margaret. I don't want to say way better. Helena Bottom Carter is a phenomenal actress. However, Vanessa Kirby's too tall. Margaret's a small person. So in the scenes where she's like having lunch with the queen and she's like kind of more imposing over her, like, yes, her personality is very imposing, but like physically she was not that much bigger than yeah. people. She was in fact like a lot smaller than most people. But I don't know if she could really pull off like the later years like um, Helena Barton Carter did. So, you know. Who's playing her next in season five? I don't know. Is that going to be her last season? Maybe I think so. Her second last. I think there's only like I don't one know or... if the show's going to go to 2001. And I have this weird theory that it's going to go straight Soprano style and be like, don't stop believing, cut to black the second she get Diana gets in that car leaving the Ritz. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I don't think it'll be like that, no. But I'm ready for be. the lazy writing. So anything more than that, I'm surprised and excited. Well, the writer of The Crown is, he's kind of obsessed with the royal family. He's the one who did the Queen movie with yeah. Helen Mirren and... So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But um, yeah, if you haven't seen The Crown, make sure to check it out. It is a pretty good show. I mean, you know, not every single it's fiction. Yeah, it's fiction, but I would say it's based in truth. Yeah, and of course, we don't know what happened behind closed doors, but I don't doubt that all the historians they have working on the show haven't figured out an accurate timeline. Let's be real. Yeah, and you know, sometimes they embellish or assume things, but... A lot of it is pretty heavily researched, like our podcast, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. Duh. Just to wrap up where we are, it's 1955. Margaret's 25 years old. She's got a marriage and a lung removal ahead. Trust us, it's going to be fatal. Thank you so much for tuning into the first ever episode of Fatal Fortunes. I have been Al. I have been Will. On Tuesdays, we talk ghosts. See you next time. Make sure to follow us wherever you're listening, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Follow us on our Instagram and YouTube at Fatal Fortunes. We're also on TikTok at Fatal underscore Fortunes. See you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye.